America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And folks, this is the last Friday of the month, so welcome to Free Rider Friday. Most of you know that most of our shows are topic-driven, where we take a topic and dive deep. Um, these shows on the last month of every, uh, or last Friday of every month, um, basically are event driven shows. So base, whatever Ed and I find interesting and news that we've been reading or topics that we think that you'd, uh, might want to hear about, uh, we will explore that and, uh, just kind of throw <laughs> one at a time at each other and get each other's response. So welcome, Ed, to our third Free Rider Friday. I know. I'm thrilled. This is going to be fun. I, I always look forward to these shows because it's a bit of a break from the others, especially since we've had three interviews in a row. Yeah, yeah, and three great interviews. Oh, my gosh. Day. They were just spectacular. I mean, Joe Pine and Bob Cross and Anthony Clark, that was just great. Yep, great lineup, great lineup. Now, we gotta, now we're batting cleanup, Ron. We've got we to gotta nail down the last, the last uh, Friday in March, so... Okay, well, listen, uh, you, you did something pretty exciting in this past week. You uh, put up a Facebook page for our show. I did, yep. Soul of Enterprise Facebook page. So you can find that at facebook.com slash asktsoe. If you haven't figured out, that's what we're going with rather than just the TSOE now. So facebook.com slash asktsoe, and you can find our page. We've got 126 likes already. We'd like to... Pop that up, but more importantly, if you get out there and want to in- interact with us during the show, we are happy to do that, as well as on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE. So make it, we're trying to make it real easy on them, Ron. Absolutely, and put, put up some interesting comments and, and, uh, and some content, and hopefully, folks, start a dialogue with you. And, and the other thing, since we know so many of you listen on demand uh, via iTunes or Android platform or different platforms, we really like to reiterate, we'd really, really appreciate it greatly if you could leave us a review on iTunes. That would, uh, that would tremendously help the show and, and be a big boost to us, so that'd be great. Thank you very much for that. Yes, because it's no longer a free ride. <laughs> but if you would like to free ride on us, since it's Free Lighter <laughs> Friday, uh, you can certainly call into the listener line at 866 472 5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. And you can always 
Uh, follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE and leave Ed or I a comment there as well. And we will monitor that during the show and um, try and respond to anybody who makes a comment. So, so Ed, what do you have on uh, this third Free Rider Friday? Oh, wow. You're going to throw it to me first. Okay, I'm going to throw gonna... it to you first. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess the first thing that I want to talk about is uh, a, a guy that I have interacted with on Facebook since we're on the topic of the Facebook page for, I would say, a little a year and a half or so. Guy by the name of Jay, and uh, Jay and I became friends on on, on Facebook. I, I guess through just a, a commenting on on news stories of other people's pages, and I, I, I'm pretty sure he friended me, and we connected and have had some pretty interesting chats. And he's a big big fan and listener of the show in in San Antonio. And curiously, I asked him last month. I said, Jay, hey, we're doing these Free Rider Fridays. Would you like to to call in? And I was blown away by the fact that Jay's response was is that that he uh, suffer, suffers from a disease that never allowed him to be able to speak. So this fantastic interaction that I've had with this guy over the course of an 18-month period in relationship, relationship, I had absolutely no idea. And just what a mind. He's, he's just a, a, an absolute sponge and – so I asked him then, okay, well, let's do this. We can make this easy. Well, let me, let me take your question for us via Facebook message. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so, so you ready, Ron? Here's, you here's, what, here's what Jay wants to ask you. He wants to know, uh, when were you introduced to the big libertarian thinkers, Ludwig von Mises? And uh, so that's the first question. He's got another one that's even harder than that. So <laughs> talk a little bit about Ludwig von Mises. When did you first encounter him? I probably encountered him Ed in uh, in college in my first year of economics. I, I, you know, the textbook we use, which I think I still have, actually profiled some you know famous economists throughout history, and one of them was Mises. And I was kind of intrigued, but didn't do anything with it until like uh, that that same year. I think in my in the second part to that course, you know, the microeconomics course. I, I read Milton Friedman's Free to Choose, mm. and I believe he talks about Mises uh, a little bit in there and then started paying more attention to Milton Friedman's writings, and he was really my first introduction. And one of the things he said was Human Action, uh, which is one Mises' classic book, <clears throat> is, is really a book about everything and very, very difficult to read, but if you can get through it uh, – <laughs> It's it's worthwhile, and and I found that to be very true because I did try and read it in college, and it was just lost on me. I mean, I was I was too young and naive, but I just read it a few years ago, and I think you did too. You started yeah. it, and yeah, it really is a treasure trove of just you're like, wow, this guy he kind of had an opinion on everything, but it was I found it to be really valuable. So I I'd say in college, Jay, I I, I learned about Mises, and then of course Hayek. Uh, but I really didn't get into the Austrians until I start until I found Gilder and then some of the other folks after Gilder um, that really got me into the whole Austrian and the subjective theory of value. So, and and interesting that Ron. Then what came first for you? Was it was it exposure to the Austrian school or your pursuit of the understanding of pricing? Or were they about the same time? Um, Austrians would have come first from an economic perspective, mm. 
and and then you know price theory um, from basically David Friedman and Stephen Landsberg um, and Mark Skalskin and and Deirdre Miklowski. Um So I kind of I, I kind of really dived into the Austrians' theory of price mm-hmm. after I was somewhat familiar with Austrian economic theory. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Well, his next question is even more difficult, and that is. Uh, and he's, there's only these two for you, so you're, you're off the hook after this. Oh, wow. Okay. He says, Edmund Burke, the founder of conservatism, hated the idea of natural rights because they might lead to anarchy. Um, what, what's your reaction to that when, as, you, as you think back on Edmund Burke and his, I, I, I think, really, truly bizarre distaste for natural rights theory? Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> Edmund Burke is is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. What did Winston? <laughs> That's, that was Winston Winston Churchill's line about the Soviet Union. About but Soviet, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I haven't. I'm not a Burke scholar. I haven't read a lot of Burke, but what I have read of him and by him, uh, I know there's contradictions, and and a lot of conservatives point to him as the founding father, and yet you can read him, and there's issues with him. Just like there's issues with Adam Smith, right? I mean, Adam Smith uh, preached a lot of things that turned out to be wrong, or or things that you know no conservative today would would want to be associated with. Uh, I, I I believe in natural rights because I do believe our rights come from a creator. They do not come from the government. They're not man made. Uh, I think Ted Cruz just said this um, the other week, or this prior week. When he announced for presidency, and I don't know if you saw it, but there was a Yahoo article written by one of the Yahoo editors, and she just said, this idea that our rights come from God is just bizarre. And I'm like, what does this woman know about history? I mean, where does she she think our rights come from? Congress? (laughs) You know? I, I do believe in natural rights. I mean, we, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by virtue of being born, and that doesn't come from government. No, it certainly doesn't go, go, come from government, although uh, I, I do know some what I'll call honest atheists, right, who who I, I think make a very strong case for the, the, the natural rights theory doesn't, doesn't necessarily presuppose a supreme being. But uh, which I personally do believe in a supreme being, but I but I, but they 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 can make us a, a pretty strong case for it. So I think it's interesting. Right, I agree. I, I, Jay, I don't know if that answered your question, but uh, that that's a fantastic <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it, this is good stuff. And then he just wanted to know from me how long I've been a libertarian, and I guess really all my life, but I I I didn't really fully embrace. Uh, the Libertarian Party and all of that stuff. Where until uh, 2008, it was. I, I remember the day. It was the day that John McCain suspended his campaign to come back to save us from the 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 the, the impending doom of the financial crisis. And I thought, oh man, <laughs> I, I just this is that's it. <laughs> I need to leave. That's <laughs> all. I, I think it's always – didn't we have this conversation with one of your libertarian friends when we were all in Vegas together? And it, it is always interesting to talk to people, their evolution and how they came to you know, their current beliefs. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, because I, 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 I've always been a fan of libertarianism. I mean I've read, I read Ayn Rand uh, in college. I read a lot of the Austrians. 
Um, I, I guess I, but I also was reading a lot of conservatives too, like William F. Buckley and, and I think Thomas Sowell I'd put into that category. So I, I, I guess really I'm a conservatarian. Yeah. That's the new buzzword out there. I saw that the other day, conservatarian. Yeah, there's a book by a guy that just came out. And in fact, I can't wait to read it because he's, he's kind of blended the two. And, and it goes back to an idea that Buckley had in the 50s about fusion, you mm-hmm. know, about, about bringing these, this, these camps together because there's a lot more similarities than there are differences. Yeah, and, and, and we're, you know, we're at, a, we're at a, a, a fraction point right now where it could, could separate out, and, and I think that that's what we're, we're starting to see, that conservatism and libertarianism, where in the past they certainly had some historical connections, there are enough differences uh, that, that it's starting to fracture it a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, how it plays out. Yeah, very much so. But Jay, thank you so much for listening, and uh, uh, please keep keep the questions coming. They're very thought provoking, and you're really making me think here about Burke. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a biography of Burke uh, sitting in my Kindle that uh, I need to read because it's supposed to be really a, a very great, you know, little volume on on his life, and he was a fascinating thinker. Yeah. As were so many of those guys. I mean, just from the this you know the Scottish Enlightenment on down, it's just amazing uh, the 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 thought process behind it. But I, you know, I guess they didn't have they didn't have distractions like Facebook to get in the way of their thinking process. They had a lot of time to sit and think and ponder. There, there's a there's a book Ed, something like how the Scots invented the modern world or something, and of course it talks about you know Adam Smith and David Hume and 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 a lot of the inventors too, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's probably, oh yeah probably written by a Scottish author and you know but it does give you a really fascinating history of the country, and I, I remember reading it on a trip to the UK with our and our late colleague Paulo Byrne. I was trying to explain it to him, and of course he was you know diehard British and he, he said oh yeah yeah great book great book <laughs> give me a lot of grief for reading it but <laughs> it was the it was the Mike Myers sketch in in uh SNF if it's not Scottish it's crap remember that <laughs> <laughs> welcome to everything Scottish because if it's not Scottish it's crap <laughs> he was very funny very funny Anyway, well, can you believe it? These shows move so quickly. We're up against our first break and our sponsor, Leading Results. We should talk a little bit about them. We want to try and talk when we don't have guests on a little bit more about our our sponsors and Leading Results uh, and 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 Dan Krause and his his team just do some amazing work with uh, not only search engine optimization, it's beyond that. It's really marketing strategy, but then they they have this technological component that they could put on it and really put you in the driver's seat and complete and total control of what you want your marketing to be. So uh, thanks to to Dan and his team. We really appreciate them uh, being a sponsor of the show. And, you know, they just renewed again, Ron, so I'm, I'm really pleased to mention that excellent yeah yep. no i yep. had a chance to meet dan last year and i was really impressed it was a marketing type course and uh it was it, we had some great discussions about marketing so somebody definitely knows what they're talking about Yep, and gets it. So uh, we're going to hear from him, but we want to remind you that you can can certainly uh, hashtag AskTSOE to get in touch with us during the show today. And we should give the phone number out just in case somebody wants to give us a ring, and that number is 866-472-5790, and we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, now the newly minted Facebook page at facebook.com slash AskTSOE. Get on up there and post us questions, but now let's hear from Leading Results. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are free riding today. It's Friday, the last Friday of the month of March 2015, and our Free Rider Friday shows that happen at the end of each month where Ron and I talk about topical issues rather – I'm sorry, uh, news-driven issues rather than topical shows, which we usually do, or interviews. So it's your turn, Ron. You're going to – you need to bounce something off me. What do you got? What do you got oh, in your great. stack of stuff? I, uh, <laughs> well, Ed, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had on Bob Cross, mm. the, uh, the guru of revenue management, and he told one of my all-time favorite stories that I've heard him tell about Marriott in the old days back in – in fact, I think it was the 50s – how they used to do revenue management, and, and it was Bill Marriott Jr. who was working the front desk, and he'd see a family drive up or yeah. you know, maybe just two people in the car, and he'd say, oh, no, we're sold out because he knew there was a family out there in a station wagon with more kids or <laughs> you know, there were businessmen out there that they could charge a higher price to, so they were doing – you know unsophisticated revenue management, but they were doing it. And I had told Bob in that show right before the break that my dad told me a story about how barbers used to do revenue management. In fact, he told Bob this when we all had dinner together. And I forgot to tell the story, Eds, and I just okay. wanted to catch up for that. My dad reminded me and, and Bob also asked me about it too. So I, I just wanted to tell it. And the thing was, back in the day, and this, wow, this is probably going back to the 50s, maybe early 60s, you know, kids' haircuts were a buck and a quarter, and men's cuts were a buck and a half. And, of course, my dad, you know, being a barber, worked from Tuesday through Saturday, had Sunday, Monday off. And, of course, Saturday was the big day for the guys to come in and get their haircut. You know, they're working mm-hmm. all week. Some of them travel. And he used to really frustrate the guys and the barbers when the moms used to bring in the little kids for their haircut. So it wasn't so, my dad said, you know, we weren't smart enough to think about it from a pricing perspective. We just didn't want the little brats in the shop. (laughs) 
<laughs> because, you know, some of them were like first time haircuts and those were always a pain because oh, they yeah. cried and, you know, they had to make a big thing out of it. And he said, so we had a policy that if, you know, your kid came in on Saturday, they were charged a buck and a half. They were charged the same as the men. And he said that alone would usually discourage the mom. To you know, they tell them bring your bring your kid back in on Tuesday, and it's only a buck and a quarter, and usually that would work. So yeah. that's how they discourage the kids from taking up that precious capacity on Saturday because Saturdays are really busy days. Yeah, brilliant. That'll work, right? So I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting when my dad told me that. So it's like, yep, there you go, revenue management, but but <laughs> not so much for pricing, but for <laughs> getting the right people in the right place at the right time. Well, and I think stylists have have become pretty good pricers in, in the in the last couple of years. So I don't know if your dad was clearly ahead of his time on that one, but but I, you know, they they offer lots of choice, lots of lots of options. Uh, you know, they are oftentimes accused of 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 serious price discrimination. You know, because they charge women a heck of a lot more. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, someday, Ed, we'll, we'll have maybe on another show, I'll tell my dad's story about how he moved from being a traditional, you know, clipper cut barber into a hairstylist. And, and it, it's a fascinating story because basically it has a lot to do with the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Beatles, you know, tank barber's income in the late 60s. And, uh, or, you know, mid to late sixties, I guess, because guys just were letting their hair grow longer. And so the barbers really had to adapt to external reality that, Hey, you know, we need guys to come back in more often. And how do you do that? Well, you style their hair, you offer them permanent waves, maybe you color it, you sell them product, things like that. And they really had to adapt. Some barbers didn't. Uh, my dad was one of the first who did, uh, at least North, Northern California. He was the first salon to be unisex mm. north of the Golden Gate Bridge where he actually brought in barbers and cosmetologists and men and women in the same salon, which was unheard of back then for a traditional barbershop. Yep, a, a real change to the business model, which is something that we we often talk about, right? It was Completely. it was a change. How do you create and capture value uh, from from your from your customers or for your customers? And and it it dramatically changed for him. And a dramatic increase in price. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Which is you know sometimes accompanies that. Well, and that's what I think a lot of people don't don't quite get. Sometimes when we talk about pricing, is sometimes the change in business model is a dramatic increase to price, but sometimes it's a decrease to price, or it's a, it's a changing the way you know the a- Apple offering one song at a time, Absolutely. which which is which was a, a different way. It, if you think about it, it was an increase to price because you were when you're buying the CD, you were getting the songs for less than a dollar each in a lot of cases, but you only wanted the one song, right? So right. You know, yeah, no, it's not always an increase in price, not at all. Yep, yep, interesting stuff. So, so. speaking of which, it's my turn, right? It's my turn now. You bet. You okay. bet. So, uh, ladies, you should know, uh, Ron's a single guy. So, if, you know, it, this could be maybe some some uh, work for you here. Now that we have the uh, Facebook page up, we can get you. Uh-oh. But uh, yeah, here you go. All right. <laughs> so, uh, so Ron, I have to. Ron, are you uh, are you on the uh, Tinder? Tinder, yeah, this is where you swipe left or right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> no, so you know on. about it. Right, you're not I, on the. I Tinder. do know about it. I'm not on it. <laughs> okay, you're not on the Tinder yet. Well, so so here's the deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna read from a story uh, from ABC News that um, re- re- ready for this. They they now have offered what's called Tinder Plus. 
right? Oh, wow. Which is a premium service. Because here's the deal. You know, you're swiping right, I guess it is. I don't know if it's – I guess it's swipe right if they're interested and left if you're not. If you're okay? Not, so yes. that's the deal. Uh, and the, 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 the challenge is apparently you get like in a rhythm here. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like <laughs> left, 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 left. <laughs> And there's a problem is that, you know, sometimes you get a little bit too quick on the draw and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I should have gone back. Well, the normal version doesn't allow you to say, wait, 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 (laughs) wait, let me back up a second. Let me, I am interested in that particular person. Let's bring it up. So now we have Tinder Plus, which is the premium service. Which goes for uh, ten bucks a month, nine ninety nine a month. They are doing charm pricing, so I think that's interesting. Um, so it's nine ninety nine a month. That is if you're under thirty. <laughs> oh, See, Ron, okay. you, my friend, you, my friend. If you were, you know, a little quick on the draw there with your your swipe left, swipe right, uh, and you wanted to get pony up the uh, money for the Tinder Plus, it would be twenty dollars for you, nineteen. 20. 99. So they're now, you know, they, they have increased the prices for those over 30 using the app. What are, thoughts on that? That's really, so just clarifying question that if you're yeah, yeah. using the free one and you swipe too fast, you, you can never, ever go back and see that person again. I, I maybe unless they come, I, I, I've not, <laughs> unless it comes up randomly again or something. My, my Christine, if you're watching, I don't have the Tinder app loaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no clue. <laughs> no, this is purely for pricing purposes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but according to the story, so that's the deal. So yeah, I don't, I don't know whether they never come back or whether you'd have to like. Go, go swipe enough to get that person back in your profile. I I don't know. I have no idea. Okay, because f- first off, I I mean I really like the fact that you have to pay a premium to be able to go back. And, and, <laughs> yeah. maybe and, and, and I mean I think that's a User really error. yeah <laughs> that's a real clever value proposition. And to me, the age uh, price difference also makes sense because I mean let's face it, there's more substitutes for people in their 20s. They're going to be going to bars and other places. And people over their 30s, you know, probably have less time and less opportunity, so they're willing to pay more uh, for a chance to meet more people. And so I, I, I kind of think the age thing is not a bad way to to differentiate those prices. Yep. Yeah. But what's your take on it? I, I I think it makes perfect sense, right? I, I it's again, it's 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 certainly creative pricing. Um, you know, the question then becomes: Is is it somehow ageist? You know, is, is it? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of the inverse of we give we give the the, the senior citizens the preferred pricing, right? Right. This is this is the no, we're going to charge you more. But right. I, I you know, I guess they position it as under thirty is cheaper. Yeah, you know, it's all in the positioning. Is it a cash discount or is it a penalty for yes. paying a credit card, right? But yes. but uh in, in any case, it's clearly a price difference. Sure. And and we there's a lot of examples of discrimination based on age, whether like the senior discount or, you know, matinees or or children's flights are cheaper or or uh, uh admission into amusement parks and things like that for kids is cheaper. So mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not um 
it's not unheard of. So, what airline yeah. do you fly where children's flights are cheaper? Not not any airline I take. But then again, you probably not booked a ticket for a child. Well, that's true. I, maybe they're not cheaper. <laughs> they what are I guess not. I, yeah, yeah, they're not. What, what I guess I mean is actually it's one of those examples Ed, that I like to use to illustrate that it costs more for the airline to fly a child, um, but they still charge the same price. Oh, oh, like an unaccompanied minor. Yeah, yeah, because they have to yeah. pay more attention to them and escort them around and things like that. So, right, right, and yeah, yeah they definitely they usually do, do not charge for that. So, but isn't there some where where they're they're below a certain age? You can sit them on your lap or something, or there used to be. That's a, true. That's true. I think you know. I think it's uh, with American Airlines, as I recall, it was it was two two years old. If they, so, once they reach two, you have to have a a uh, a seat for them. Right. And, and just, you know, along this pricing topic, so don't count this against me throwing out a topic, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we asked Bob Cross uh, a couple of weeks ago as well what, what he thought were the best pricers uh, in the world, which country was the best price uh, pricers, and he said the USA. And one of our regular listeners and friend of the show and friend of Verisage, Steve Major out of uh, Australia, who's a pricing consultant, uh, wrote me an interesting email and said, well, I'm not sure about that. He said, you know, I'm not arguing that Australia are better pricers than, than America. He said, but look at China. You know, China, the, the value is kind of embedded into their culture. They kind of you know, they do negotiate based on value. They really understand when you go shopping there that, you know, something's worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. So there's the, there's always this negotiation. And I kind of thought about that and replied to him and said, yeah, but, you know, haggling and negotiation is different than pricing. So they might understand value, but I'm not sure that translates into pricing skill. But it's, it's, it is really interesting, interesting thought. Yeah, because almost it's it's sort of an auction, but not really, right? So right, and and the other thing we asked Bob, uh, folks, was who which industry he thought were the best pricers, and he said, well, ten years ago I would have said airlines. Today I'd say hotels, and just to corroborate that, Edna's oh, yeah. hotel in Silicon <laughs> Valley the other night that. Uh, I've never paid four hundred dollars for a Hilton Garden Inn before, so. <laughs> yep, I know. Yeah, yep. uh, I have to. I have to hand it to Hilton and and all of them, by the way, because I looked at Marriott and Sheridan and others, but uh, they were all uh, premium price. If you're trying to stay around Google or Intuit or anywhere in Silicon Valley, you're going to pay a fortune for a hotel. So, yep. I think Bob is right. <laughs> yeah, separate rooms, by the way. I was there too, but it, it, the the hotel was more expensive than my flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, folks, we need, we're up against a break here, and, and we'd like to remind you that you can contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com, and we do get your emails. We love reading them, and, uh, in fact, I got one here in my stack, Ed, that we'll answer. And check out our new Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AskTSOE, and, of course, you can follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE, and... Um, on this break, we're going to hear from our sponsor, uh, Azamba, which is Peter Wolf. And Ed, um, Peter uh, does CRM, doesn't he? Yeah, CRM software. Great stuff. I mean, you know, and it's, it's, it's way more than just, I think a lot of people think of CRM as contact management, but the, the workflow that's involved in designing some of these systems is pretty good. And one of the things that I know Peter does a great job at is really making it so that CRM is about 
the it, it serves the people rather than the people serving the system. One of the big problems that I see with CRM implementations in a lot of cases is they're purely designed uh, to, to 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 for for the for the people to serve the system. But uh, Peter, make sure that it works the other way around, where it, where it's it's the system that serves the people in the end. Oh, that's fantastic! And the other thing I love about Peter is he's an enormous Monty Python fan. So <laughs> <laughs> I never met anybody who could actually read through the scripts word for word. So incredibly funny guy. But yeah, that's uh, that's great. So folks, we're going to hear from uh, Azamba, and we're also going to hear uh, about uh, our new book, The Soul of Enterprise: Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy, as well. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here on Free Rider Friday talking about various topics and uh, some listener uh, questions as well. So, Ed, I think you're up. What do you have? No, no, you're up. You're up. I just did mine. Oh, did, did you? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, wow, yeah. I'm up. Okay, wow, yeah. sorry. Uh, I'm getting confused. Um, well, I found this interesting from The Economist uh, from the January 10, 2015 issue, and it, it was all about McDonald's. And I don't know if you remember, but about 12 years ago, back around 2003, 2001, like right after the dot bomb, their stock tanked. I mean, mm-hmm. it went down really, really low. In fact, it went down so low, I remember the joke being that, hey, McDonald's has a new item on its dollar menu. It's stock. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things this article pointed out was like-for-like sales, you know, year-on-year sales were down 4.6% in 2014 in McDonald's stores. And um, 
one of the diagnoses of this problem is there's 200 me- items on its menus, which is way, way too much. You know, one of the things that McDonald's did that I found really interesting was they they focus the measurement in the industry on something else rather than pay attention to what everybody else is paying attention to in terms of what you can measure. Like back then it was choice. McDonald's made it about speed or convenience, right? Mm -hmm. So they kind of changed the metric. But now it seems to kind of be backfiring on them because they're they're not cool anymore. You know, even kids kind of don't they don't think of McDonald's as as much as they used to anymore. It's because they got rid of the Hamburglar. That's the problem. Well, (laughs) yeah. And then, you know, I I don't know if it has to do with the movies, you know, Super Size Me and Fast Food Nations taking some of the, some of the, uh, the, the fame out of it as well. But so, so it's interesting how McDonald's is trying to, you know, get back and simplify their menu, uh, having touchscreen menus where you can go up and kind of order what you want and, and even customize it, mm. which it, it, I think makes it even more complicated. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not sure that that's a great strategy. But one of the things that the article pointed out, and this is what I really wanted to emphasize, is the fast casual restaurants, they're called. You know, places like Shake Shack and Nando's and Chipotle and Mexican Grill, Pan, Panera Bread. Uh, what, what's interesting about these, this category is they're up 10.5% mm. in, in revenue and they're up in profits. And uh, it's thought that there's four reasons for this. One, their food is fresh, right? So you get fresh food. There's a mm. high level of customization in each in each location, so you'll see you know different things on the wall, different types of uh, environment, and they have clever pricing. And this is what really interested me. Some dishes are the same price as, as the fast food, but they're better at nudging their customers into pricier dishes really? to get extras, and they get an extra forty percent out of each diner's wallet mm, because by of, nudging by nudging. And, um, you know, and then, of course, each outlet, you know, is distinct, too. So the high level of customization, I'm sorry, meant that you can get your food exactly the way you want it. Mm-hmm. So they'll prepare it exactly the way you want it. And then each outlet, too, has high level of distinctiveness. Uh, but I really found it interesting that the, the, these fast casual restaurants that – you know, we're always kind of thought of as well, the kind of inferior to, you know, McDonald's or whatever. They were never really that good. They're getting much more sophisticated, and they're getting better at pricing. And I just yeah. found that to be really interesting. Yeah, for the for the benefit of people who just might be strolling into the show, Ron, tell them what nudging is from a price perspective. Yeah, nudging means you know you give people options, and you're trying to nudge them into uh, you know maybe a higher price option or uh, an option that might be a better fit for them. Uh, it's kind of in economics, it's referred to as choice architecture. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this on some of our shows, especially the, the second law of marketing. Um, but, but, you know, classic example is you might, you know, you might be able to nudge somebody, um, like Wendy's with a triple cheeseburger. Uh, by having that on the menu, you're probably going to nudge somebody from buying a single to a double. Mm-hmm. And, but you can also do it's very sophisticated because there are some ways you can even do it where by by increasing or decreasing the price of the middle choice, whatever that is perceived to be, that 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 moves people up or down to that. You know, so so right. yes, with you know, for just a little bit more, I get the top thing, 
right? <laughs> or just right, a little bit right. more. Or, okay. or you make a choice so unattractive that it nudges people up to the next one. Yep. And now we got to be careful because, and this came up in in what we the work we were doing with a customer earlier this week, right? This this idea is at what point does it become manipulation? Yeah, it, it's a great question because I'm you know the book written uh, on this is uh, uh, Cass Sustain and and right. he's a libertarian economist at the University of Chicago. I mean his libertarian credentials are I think quite solid. And and uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, I, I forget. Uh, he, uh, Thaler. Thaler. Uh, I'm sorry. Thaler's the libertarian. Sustine was Obama's one of the right. uh, uh, czar for Obama. I'm sorry. I got those two confused. But they wrote a book called Nudge. And, you know, just the example that we always like to talk about, about you're an organ donor and what's the default choice. Well, in America, you have to, you know, sign a few forms to become an organ donor when you get your driver's license or whatever. But in other countries like Canada, I guess, uh, you're you're defaulted in Mm -hmm. to organ donation and you have to opt out. Well, because of that, that's kind of a nudge. And there's a higher donation rate in Canada, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yep. And and it's actually this is worldwide. If and this was in uh, Ariely's first book, right? Uh, Predictably irrational. I think is where he's got some charts in there where he shows you know like and I and I'm I'm off the top of my head here. It's like Norway and Sweden, and it's the same deal. It's like the 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 organ donorship is high in one and low in the other. And here's places that are culturally very similar. But what? So what's the difference? And it and it's and it takes it back to the fact that it's it's the it's the default value on the form. So right. the I mean, think about this: the the guy designing the form at the DMV is has the power of life over death. Right, and and yeah, you're right. We get challenged on this a lot that this is manipulation, and and I guess to some extent it, it can be considered that. But I think if you're transparent about it, and I think if your intentions. You know, well, not just intentions, but your actions are consistent with with transparency and ethical values. Uh, you're not going to be able to fool people. You know, right. at least not in the long run. You may as be able as to nudge them once, right? And and as long as you're really you're giving them a a and and a choice, right? They still have the choice to pick something that you don't think might be good. You know, the other real good example of this that I I think is brilliant is the people signing up for 401ks and we're especially younger folks where what what they do when when you get a, a job when you're in your mid 20s or whatever first job that might have a 401k you're not you're not thinking retirement right and you're and you may be in a in a financial situation as perhaps you and I were it's like you know what every dollar that I can take home counts <laughs> right now you know yeah. um so to so, so to be thinking about re- retirement and putting away you're that kind of makes you you know well I'm not going to do that just yet, but what uh, I think this book talks about, I think it was Nudge that, that's, that said this, is if you have people sign, when they sign up and say, okay, yes, you don't have to be a, a 401k participant right now, but we'll enroll you and any raises that you get will automatically be subject to the you know the 1% or 2% of whatever it is. Then people sign up for that immediately because you're way more likely to say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll opt into something in the future with no commitment today." Right, and they actually even pledged a higher percentage of exactly. their raised pay because it's much easier to spend money that you, you don't have. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and 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 I remember when this book came out, there was a lot of. Uh, 
you know, reviews in libertarian journals and even in conservative journals that said, wow, this is really manipulative. This is the nanny state trying to nudge us and, you know, to eat our vegetables and clean our room. It kind of sounds like the tax code uh, in a lot of ways. But I, I can see where the government doing this can make people raise an eyebrow and go, hmm, are they really trying to manipulate us? And, and I do think that's an issue that we need to be aware of. Yeah, but yes, but again, you know, and I'm not a big government guy, you know that, but it, it, as long as there really still is choice to 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 go the other way and it's and it's not this coerced thing, I, I have less of a problem with it. I know that there there were people who were insane about the uh ch- you know, changing the default value on organ donorship, but I I've got no problem with it. But then again, I have I have really no problem with if we should be, I think we should be able to sell a kidney if we want, but Right. What was the term they used? Compassionate libertarianism, or it wasn't that, but it was something close to that, and it, and that created libertarian a, paternalism. Paternal, that paternalism. Was, yes, yeah. that was that was <laughs> which causing, is really a a bad term. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. That that's about the last thing. That you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, but, well, we're up yeah. against our final break here, Ron, and we are going to hear from Sage Software. We'd like to always thank the, the folks at Sage for being a, a, the, a huge sponsor of our show and allowing us to, to, to continue on. So we really appreciate that. And uh, we will hear fr- fr- from them at this break, as well as another one, another plug for our book right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit verisage.com you may also tweet us at verisage that's v-e-r-a-s-a-g-e now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back to Free Rider Friday, everybody. And uh, we'd like to remind you that you can check out the show and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash AskTSOE. And uh, happy to have you follow our show there and, and uh, start a dialogue with everybody. And uh, if you've had a chance to check out our book, on our ebook on Amazon, 
the Soul of Enterprise. Uh, Ed, I think we have about five customer reviews already up there. I know. Pretty yeah, good, so, too. Yeah, pretty exciting. So, And n- none of them are from our moms, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> or dads. <laughs> or dads. Or dads. That's right. So, Ed, what do you got for us? I, this is going to be a tough one, Ron. This is uh, this is a, a you know, we're we're delving into a topic that is uncomfortable to for a lot of people. Let's talk about this law in Indiana that allows uh, businesses to discriminate uh, potentially against uh, couples, uh, lesbian, gay and lesbian couples, and I, I, I guess they're trying to extend it to others. But that's that's really what the main target is. So, uh, first of all, I'm sure you've heard of this, and there's been a backlash uh, recently about it. Uh, Benenoff uh, from uh, Salesforce has pulled out of uh, events that were scheduled to happen in Indiana. These uh, this, and and in a reaction to that, um, um, Audra McDonald, who's a, a Broadway singer, I think had a better reaction. Not you know, not not nothing against. Uh, 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 Metinoff, uh, because it's his was, was, you know, certainly within his rights. But uh, she said that she is still going to perform her her uh, her, uh, her gigs in Indiana, but she's going to donate the proceeds to a, uh, hu- a human rights foundation. <laughs> Uh-huh. So pr- pretty interesting. Uh, that was a, a Twitter conversation that, that she had yesterday. So what do you what do you think of these laws, Ron? Wow, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm all for voluntary cooperation, and anytime I see uh, laws imposed on businesses about uh, hiring um, or or doing business with or even renting to, um, you know, I, I feel that we have the freedom to associate with who we want. Mm-hmm. And if a business doesn't want to serve gay, lesbian. Um, even even you know various ethnicities, I, I don't have a problem with it. One, first off, I think the market will impose a severe penalty for their bigotry and their stoop and their idiocy. Mm-hmm, but second, mm-hmm. you know, I look at it the other way too and go, what if we were to impose the same laws on customers? What if you had to spend a proportional share of your dollars with? You know, various merchants of various ethnicities or religions or or gender or you know sexual preference. It, we never talk about it that way. We don't only, give them any ideas, Ron. Well, <laughs> so I, I I'm kind of for free voluntary association. Let people work it out. And as Gary Becker taught me, a great uh, Nobel Prize winning economist, you know, bigotry is free. But if you if you're going to engage in racial preferences and actually you know act on them or or discriminatory behavior and act on it, um, that the market's going to impose an enormous cost on you. I mean, think about an NBA player who was a racist and didn't want to hire you know black people. Mm-hmm. That that would be insane. He mm-hmm. he couldn't survive very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of kind of a free market guy on this. I think the market will take care of itself. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting challenge because I, I, I in one sense I agree with you that hey listen I I, I actually prefer when the bigots self identify right absolutely <laughs> let the Archie Bunkers mouth off <laughs> right it's like okay good you know I really don't want to deal with you um, and, and and you know what it's free for him to do so it's free it, Archie Bunker imposes you know no costs on himself for being an, an idiot a bigot. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I think there, you know, and it's interesting when you go back to the history of the civil rights movement and the Civil Rights Act uh, in 1965, and and when you realize that in in some cases, you know, these the, it was the motel and hotel chains that were really very much in favor of the 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 act uh, because they, you know they. They were under this tremendous societal pressure and concern that if they allowed African Americans to stay at their chain, then their white customers would go away. Right. right. So when when the law came out in 1965, it it really was a benefit to these businesses, right? Because it imposed this idea of public accommodation, right? So they so they they could say, look. It, it, it was our policy to be bigoted, but now we can't be anymore. But but they secretly actually wanted the law passed, right? So so that they they could open it up because they realized that they were that that, that they were taking an economic hit. Now, granted, they did not have the courage, unfortunately, to move forward themselves, which is a problem. Right, right. Now, you know, Thomas Sowell has written quite a lot about this and, and basically says that if you look at areas where the discrimination was and the segregation, it was because of the laws. It was actually government. The, the freest enterprises like sports teams, even Broadway shows, even Hollywood were, mm. were already integrating because, again, the costs of not is just too high for the owners. Right. The market will impose a cost and, and, Thomas Sowell has really uh, looked at this in great detail, and so I, I would recommend any of his books if you want to visit this topic in greater depth, folks. Yep. Well, you know, the, the challenge becomes here is, is that what has happened here is it's the it's the, re, it's the reverse of what happened in, with the 1965 Civil Rights Act, right? So it's right. it's a, it's we're it, we're reimposing the, the the ability, and especially with this idea, you know, there there is. In my, my my worldview, that we have to be careful about this whole the, the public accommodation situation. You know, I, I, it's it's really um, it's really tough. But you know, then people say, well, what about public accommodation for smokers versus non-smokers, and can we can we force that? And you know, I I, I think the difference there is that there's a difference between behavior from a you know, smoker non-smoker and obviously ethnicity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think that there's clear, clearly a difference there, but it, it's a, it's an interesting question. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is, it, this is one where it's going to very quickly go away. My guess is, is that Indiana is going to have to back down out of this, which is probably the best in the end. Right. Right. I agree. Hey, Ed, we got an email from a, a listener buy-in and he says, I'm an active listener uh, of, uh, and reader of your books and, and your show. I currently lead an IT consulting company where we do custom development and CRM implementation projects. I have several questions on the business model, which makes sense from your, from your show. Mm. He says, one, from a consulting company perspective, I'm struggling with defining value for my customers. Most of our clients use our services for complex integration needs of their business. Do you have some examples of how other professional service firms define value or create value? And then he says, I'm also implementing the three price point approach, which you Mm, have suggested. And I would like to differentiate our firm with a Zappos-like service experience, but our struggle is communicating that as value to our clients. Is there any pointers? And by and yeah, I would say there are. I mean, take a listen to the Dan Moore show crafting the value conversation which was february 6th and then to also have a listen to ed and i on the uh, february 13th show 
mm. uh, where we discuss the chief value officer role and the value council. And I think you'll get some ideas for how to better communicate and position your value in front of your customers. So yeah, I just, and uh, yeah, I think that the, you're, those are two great shows to to listen to on that. And uh, what I heard a little bit in his in in his uh, question, Ron, is not so much the communication of value, but really the the the, the conversation about value has to. He's he's got to amp that up a little bit because really, there's y- yes, you can effectively communicate your value, but it first has to be expressed by your customers, right. Right. No, great point. Great point. And you do have to have that value conversation, too, and spend more time doing that. And then it becomes kind of a upward spiral, doesn't it? As you think about it more, your customers will it will will hear it more and understand it better. Yep. And as we've talked about, you know, read, read Mahan Khalsa's uh, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play to get better at that value conversation. Because they're, they're, if, you, if you can ask the right questions, the customers will, will, will tell you a lot about value. Very true. Very true. Well, geez, that, I can't believe this, but we're already out of time. And I'm not, <laughs> I even, know. Through, <laughs> not even through my stack of stuff. But tell us what we have on board for uh, next week. Well, next week we are going to be returning to some of our topical shows, and what we've got on tour for next week is a. Uh, we're going to try to do something a little bit different. We're hopefully we're going. This is going to be another series, but we're going to do a thing called Entrepreneur Heaven. And the idea here is that we're going to cover the some of the history and innovations done by various entrepreneurs, and the next the three the four entrepreneurs that we're going to talk about next week are Disney, Ford, Edison. And J.W. Marriott. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to that, and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Folks, in the meantime, feel free to visit us at, at verisage.com slash Tua T-S-O-E, where we'll post our show notes and other items that we discuss on the show. And you can always contact Ed or myself at T-S-O-E at verisage.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week with Entrepreneur Heaven. Entrepreneur Heaven.